God, you're here and you're good. Um, we sing because we know who you are. We sing because we've experienced you. We've tasted some of the, the life that you have for us, that for many of us in this room, we know that you are a, a gracious and merciful God that forgives time and time again that you're an all-powerful God that steps into our life and changes our trajectory and experiences because you desire to bless us and provide for us and take care of us, that you're a God who is ever-present, that you never leave us, that you've actually given your Holy Spirit to be with us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here and to move here right in the here and now. We all come into this room in different places in our life. Our weeks have looked different. Our next weeks will look different. As we wind down summer and head into fall, there's transition that many of us are experiencing, some welcome, some unwelcome. The Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time and place now to meet us and to speak to us and to bring us conviction and comfort and direction. And so would you move in us in this time and place? And Jesus, you are alive. You are living. You're speaking to us always. We want to hear from you and know your voice and respond to it. And so would you guide us and direct us clearly now as we look at your word? We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We love you and we know that you love us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I, uh, I mentioned that I, I, uh, I cried when, when I said goodbye to Max uh, middle of last week. And um, I'm, not a, I'm not a big crier. I don't cry a lot. And um, I've cried more in this month than I have in a really long time. Um, for those of you that were around two weeks ago, and we mentioned it again last week, um, I wasn't here. Um, but but our, our church family lost somebody very dear to us uh, two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago. Um, and I hope you're not hearing this for the first time. Um, but uh, we lost somebody very dear to us. Uh, Paul Rhodes uh, passed away in a freak accident. Um, he's... Uh, if you don't know who Paul is, he's uh, 66, his, I think his birthday was right this week or next week, he was almost 67, I believe, and um, he was a part of our church since it started uh, almost 16 years ago, uh, mentored some on the very core team that started our church, has been involved in the life of Mosaic intimately, significantly for our entire life. Um, he was my personal mentor um, for 14 years, that's two years before I arrived here at Mosaic. I've known Paul most of my life. I was in the church where he was a pastor in Long Beach, California growing up. Um, he has been a spiritual director uh, to a number of us in, in Mosaic. Um, he's influenced significantly how we've developed our leader and training cohort uh, that we've taken almost 100 people through over the last 10 years. Um, he's been on our teaching team for a season. He was in our original ministry board when it formed. Paul's played a significant role in the life of our church and in the life of many of, of us personally. Uh, and he died two and a half weeks ago in a, in a freak accident, fell off of a, of a deck while on vacation with his wife. Um, it's, it's been hard for me to think about a, a whole lot else um, and, and crying and, and mourning his loss and then, and then dropping Max off at school and, and mourning the loss of him not being in our home anymore. Um, has been has been a kind of this weird confluence of emotion and and sadness and, and joy for Max taking the next step and joy for Paul being whole and, and with his heavenly Father and 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 that's that's just been a lot and um, as I think about Paul one of the things that that if you know Paul you know this about him that he embodied 
a lot of the things that we've been reading about this summer in the book of Proverbs. He embodied wisdom in so many significant ways that Paul was truly a wise man who God had captured his heart and he'd surrendered his life to Jesus fully. Uh, one of the things that I thought about Paul is that he's, it, it, although it was, I don't like the way that he passed away, I don't like that he's gone. He, he, he lived life well. He's a good demonstration of a, of a life well lived. And in that way, I think he models much of what we find in the book of Proverbs. Um, and so uh, as I was thinking about this Sunday and trying to just kind of teach the next section of, of Proverbs, that, that was a little too hard. And so what I'm going to do is, is take the next maybe 15 minutes or so. And I, I want to I give you kind of a reflection. Actually, I'm going to give me a reflection. And if you benefit from it, that would, that would be great too. Um, on, on the life of, of our friend, of my friend Paul, from, from the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 27, the first verse says, says this. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And that, that, that can look a lot of different ways in a lot of different aspects of our life. But as I read that this week and I went, that's, you know, boast there. It doesn't, doesn't mean don't, don't plan, don't look forward to, don't, don't anticipate tomorrow. It, what it means is don't, don't think that you can control it. And I don't know of a more dramatic way to think that you can control it and that, that think that you can plan the days of the loved ones around you. <laughs> My plan for, for Paul would that he would still be here, that he'd still be a help to me, that he'd be a help to a whole bunch of other people. But in my mind, I'd really selfishly want him to be a help for me here. I, I would love to be able to boast and say, no, I'm not going to lose that. And, and we do that with a lot of different things in our life, not just relationships, but there's Proverbs right there, a word, word from God. Don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what the next thing is going to be. We can't control it. We're not that powerful. Verse 17, a few verses down. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. No doubt we've all heard that concept before. Maybe you didn't know it came from Scripture. Maybe you have had it memorized because it is Scripture. But it's a, it's a truth that is, is there. Iron sharpens iron. The way that we, we form a, well, not we. None of us are blacksmiths I, that I'm aware of. But we don't form swords. But, you know, the way that a sword is, is formed, you've maybe seen it in a, in a movie or, or, or some kind of thing where it's, it's, it's hit with a, an iron hammer over and over and then it forms it. And it not just forms it, but then it can sharpen it. And then sharpen blade against blade and, and to keep it sharp. And it's the, it's the same thing. It's one of the reasons that God designs us and places us in relationships because we actually have the capacity to help one another. And that doesn't always look like, hey, let me gently tell you about where the way to go. That works and is effective, and that's my preferred way to receive instruction and correction. But another way that happens is when there's, when there's a clash, when there's a, almost a violent connection. As iron sharpens iron, there's sparks and there's friction and there's and what we know, not, maybe not like, but what we know is when there's another person that we trust in our life that's willing to bump up against us and say a hard truth, that it gives us the opportunity to respond and conform and change and apologize and be humbled. That as iron sharpens iron, one life can, can sharpen another life. And gosh, by God's grace, Paul was that in my life. He was never abrasive towards me, but he was very direct in a way that went, I don't like that. Can you say that softer? But he loved me enough to say, no, you need the sharpening in your life, and I'm going to do it the best I can. And over and over and over again, I'm so grateful that he did that. Two verses later, listen to this. Verse 19, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. 
If you're not familiar with Proverbs, and these are the first Proverbs you've ever paid attention to or heard before, you can begin to see how it's just, it's just true. As water reflects the face, if you're looking in, a, in a, a pond that's still, and you look in and you can see a reflection in it, you can see your face, not, not crystal clear, not perfect, you, a mirror is going to be more effective for this, but you look in and you can see yourself in it, and you know it's yourself, you know it's your own face. So one's life reflects the heart. When you look at a person's life, you see their heart. Not in an instant, not, 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 in, one, not in one moment when you have one experience, but when you look at a life over months and seasons and years and even decades, and you stand back and you look and you take in the totality of it, you begin to see themes and consistencies and patterns. And you go, okay, I know who that person really is. I, they're real. I can touch them. I can, I can have a grasp and understand and have a confidence that this is who I know them to be. And Proverbs says, so a life assessed in that way reflects their heart. You can see their heart. And we know that in our deepest relationships. It's the reason that we both run to the deepest relationships. And at times we run away because we know that we're known. We know that we can't conceal what's actually really inside. What's deep inside of who we really are, our, our heart. The scripture talks about the heart of the very place of our life. It doesn't mean the organ. It means our, kind of our in, inside of who we are. It's actually closer to the word soul, who we really are. There's, there's three things that, that I think that I, I see in Paul's life. There's many, many more, but I've picked three for this morning that I think he, he not only emulated and modeled and, and was these th three things and cared about these three things, but he actually helped to embed them in the life of our church family. And the first one is his, his focus on his, his heart and on my heart and on your heart and on our heart. That, that, that Paul Rhodes had a, had, a, had a crystal clear vision and priority for the value of the inner life, of who we really are. Not, not just who we project and who we want others to see us as, but but who we were and how important that is. We've looked at this verse a number of times and uh, I was on vacation, but uh, Professor uh, uh, Paul Metzger from Multnomah Seminary uh, guest spoke here a few weeks ago and this was the verse that he focused on and he and I talked about it before he came and taught. But chapter four of Proverbs verse 23 says this, and this may sound familiar to you as, as well, even if you weren't here this Sunday. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. For everything you do flows from it. And, and, and Paul talked about this, Paul Metzger talked about this a few weeks ago, but, but the, the sense of, of going forth of what you're rooted into, what influences your heart then comes out and, and grows out and flows out of that, that, that what's going on on your in, inside, who you really are, your soul, your identity, an intimate awareness of you, who you are, is going to, it's going to flow out. There's, there's no stopping it. You can't help it. I mean, we can fake it for a while, and we're all decently good at that at times. But over time, we can't stop who we really are from coming out. And not just that reality, but the, the truth that God cares most about who we are on the inside. That God cares about who you are at a heart level, not a performance level, not a resume level, not just how others may see you who don't really know you, but the God of the universe took special care in putting his fingerprints on your soul of shaping who you are and cares deeply about who you are, and that involves our heart. And there is so much around us that fights against that and pulls against that so that we don't actually pay attention to who we really are. 
And we know full well that we can present to other people and in our worst moments manipulate other people to see us or feel about us in a certain way. And it's not healthy and it's not good. And we know that it runs out and it puts us at a place of always trying to, trying to keep up an image or keep up a level of, of doing and, and not actually focused on who we are or being. And Paul had a beautiful way of just being himself. He, he uh, I didn't pick this up from him clearly, but he cried an awful lot. He was known as, I, I, uh, because I'd known Paul before I was at Mosaic, I, I knew this about him, but not many of you do. Um, but he was known when I was growing up as the, the crying and the cussing pastor. And so when he first started teaching here in our teaching team a number of years ago, I introduced him as that. But, but, but you need to know that I had a prior conversation with him that I said, you know, I, I, I cry as much as you feel need to, but if you could just hold the, the cussing down a bit. And, um, and he did. I don't know that he actually ever cussed. If you remember um, years ago, we had another teaching pastor who's actually very good friends with Paul, uh, Morris Dirks. And I think Morris actually cussed more than Paul, but Paul's known for more. But that's not important. Um, I would like to make sure that makes it on the podcast, though. Um, but, he, but Paul was just himself. He would just cry. He would do... And you didn't know what was going on. You weren't sure what was happening. Did he forget? Did he not remember what he was going to say next? What, what's going on? Is he, is he not feeling well? Like, and then he would start crying. And, and you know, I loved it. Um, some of you were uncomfortable with it. I was sitting with a friend one time in the front row, and he just froze and then like, looked at me without moving his head like, what the heck is going on? I was like, oh, dude, this guy cries, man. It's great. Um, but that, it's just him. He was comfortable with himself, and he didn't care if he cried in front of people. But more than that, he was crying because he knew how much God loved him. He knew how much God loved him. I mean, he was overwhelmed with it over and over and over again. I loved seeing that about him. He knew that God loved who he really was through all of his quirks and flaws and all that, through all of ours, through all the things that don't fit right and don't go right and aren't good about us and that we wish were different, that what, who we are at a soul level, who we really are is what's most important, that that part of us is connected to God and knows that God loves us at that level. And Paul not only emulated that and modeled that so well, but he, but he embedded, it, embedded it in the life of our church. First through those of so many of us who lead here at Mosaic, that he helped us value it and model it and pursue it and seek it in our own lives. And so that I know as a leader that my connection to God, that what's going on in the inside of me is far more important than things that you see on the outside. And when that's not true for me, it's not good for me to lead. And that's true for all of us. And so it's a value here at this church that we have genuine, authentic relationships, first and foremost with our Savior, Jesus, and then with those around us. And then we don't put a lot of time and effort into performing or presenting something that's not really us, but that we regularly create space and we fight for it so that we're able to be who we really are, knowing that that's where life is going to flourish. We know that that's where God's going to continue to transform us and refine us and mature us. And so we want to be the kind of church that values genuine and authentic relationships because it's not healthy or helpful to project something that we aren't really. That's not good. We want to be a different kind of people. That's one of the ways I think Paul helped embed something really important in us. The second one is this, is that as, uh, 
as Paul knew, and like I said, he, he cried often because he, he knew how much God loved, loved him. Uh, there's, there's this verse in, in chapter 9, verse 10 of, of Proverbs, and it's one that we've hit a few times over the course of the summer. Listen to this. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord, and if that's, if that's the first time you've heard that phrase, the fear of the Lord, it, it doesn't mean um, being scared of God. It means having an appropriate awe and reverence for who God is. Like God's not your buddy. Like, like God's a creator of the universe. Like that, that kind of thing. Like, 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 like you can talk to God and say anything you, you want to God, and, and, and Jesus says that he's, he's our friend, and that's true. But, but he also was there before there was anything that he created it all, that he's always existed, he wasn't ever born or created, that he's always been there, that, that he has the power to judge righteously, unlike anyone or anything else ever will or ever has. That the God of the universe that holds us in the palm of his hand, that sustains everything through Jesus, that's a God worthy of our worship and attention and very lives. That that kind of awe and reverence and respect for who God is, the fear of the Lord, and Lord there is the word, is the, is the title, is the name Yahweh. And, and it's the beginning of wisdom. And so to know God then begins to, when you, when you know God, then you can see the rest of life. And every human being from all time, and some of us in this room are trying to figure out life and live the good life and get through without God really in the picture. And so that we, we, can, we can bump up against wisdom and we can actually accidentally step in it at times and we can run across wisdom and, and get through life decently well. But without God shaping the picture and the, the view that we see everything through, we're not actually at wisdom. And knowledge, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Of when we seek to view life without God in the picture, we're only getting a part of the picture. We're seeing it, it dimly, it says later in the New Testament. We're not seeing all, but, but when, when God is, is the beginning, we say, I, I, I want to live under the power and the grace of the God of the universe. We have a much better chance of beginning to get wisdom. Paul pursued knowing God, fearing God and knowledge of the Holy One. And he had, over the last 10 years of his life, one of his focuses of study was, was the Trinity, the, the reality that the creator of the universe is, is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this, what it's, it's complex and nobody's ever fully understood it. it it's, it's a word that's never used in Scripture. The word Trinity is never used in Scripture. But it's this theology, it's this truth of who God is that comes through everywhere in Scripture. That God is in community himself. That God is in relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And over and over and over throughout Scripture, it identifies God as the Father, God as the Son, and God as the Holy Spirit. And so beyond what our language can even grasp or hold or define is this truth of who God is. And this wowed Paul in new ways, even at this stage of his life, knowing it for so long. And, and Paul would probably never have said this, and I don't think he did, but, but he had a great mind for theology. He, early on in his life, was um, in uh, PhD studies at UCLA to become a Hebrew scholar, which, gosh, glad he didn't do that. He had this mind for, for understanding and scholarly work. And so even in his mid-50s when he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refocus on the Trinity again because I'm not sure I get it. And it, he entered into this whole kind of new relationship with understanding God in community with himself. 
And one of the things that allowed us to do as a church, one of the things that helped embed into, into Mosaic was a, a, a greater awareness of the often left out member of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and then oftentimes, unfortunately, not biblically, but where we place it as a distant third is the Holy Spirit, because it's a spirit we can't quite wrap our minds around. What does that mean? We've got to, we, we, Jesus was, became a, a human, we can get that, and God, okay, um, but, but the Holy Spirit. And so for us to be able to focus on and, and grow in our awareness and embrace and walk with the Holy Spirit, to learn the Holy Spirit's prompting. And so over the last few years, we as a church have, have grown in that. The language that we talk about the Holy Spirit, the way that, that we're in tune to it, the decisions and the way that we make decisions as a church, we've invited the Holy Spirit into that in a whole new way. And that's happened through a lot of leaders at Mosaic, but Paul was one of those that helped us say, God, and there's this understanding of God in community himself. There's this always, he called it a dance that always went on between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that helped us to go, oh, what is the Holy Spirit's role in the life of us as a church? And so we've grown in that. Even this year, of setting aside this year of 2019 as a church, as a year of Jubilee, was influenced in part by that, by saying, where's the Holy Spirit leading us? How do we discern where we're to go next as a church. And we believe as, as leaders here, and as we've talked about it over the, the uh, late fall and, and January, that we believe that the Holy Spirit was leading in us to set this year aside as a different kind of year. The first 15 years that we, we pushed hard and did a lot and, and grew rapidly and planted a lot of churches and went after a lot of things, all that God blessed and was good. But as we take this next step into the life of our church, to take a year aside as a, a year of jubilee, the Holy Spirit led us to do that. The third one is this, chapter 11, verse two. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. That's a, that's a truism that generally is true in life. We can find you know, antidotes where that's, or, or uh, examples where that's not, not necessarily true, but we generally get that. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. And the word there for disgrace, that, that's, that's not in English print there, but it's the same word in the original language is also the word shame. Over the last five years, Paul focused and read a ton about shame. Some of the times that he taught here, uh, I know in my, my mentoring spiritual direction relationship with him, he started talking to me about shame and said, you know, Tim, where, where do you think there's shame in your life? And I said, I, I, don't, I don't feel like, I, I, don't feel like I, I struggle a, a ton with shame. And he said, well, what's your understanding of shame? And, and, and I kind of told him, and, um, and he said, well, that's, that's true. That's kind of a simplistic view of it, but that's, that's kind of true. And then over and over, it was just like he was peeling back the layers of my life and going, well, isn't that shame there? And do you think shame that? And so uh, this thing that often happened that I didn't like was that I was wrong and he was right, and he pointed out stuff in my life. And I was like, gosh, darn it. I thought I had shame like wrapped up in a box and buried real deep, and I, I didn't need to deal with that. And here you're going, what about that? What about that? What about that? Stop. Guilt I was comfortable with, shame I was not. Guilt is this, this feeling we have from doing something bad. Guilt is something we feel because we've done something bad or wrong. Shame is something that we feel because we're bad. Because we're bad. Shame is, is how we view ourselves, and it actually begins to shape our, our identity. And what happens is it begins to, it begins to corrupt and cloud what's going on in our heart in our inner lives. 
And shame is something that we all probably struggle with at some level, and we're aware of it at different degrees. But what shame does is it begins to, begins to infiltrate our identity and, and take control of it, and then we think we're actually bad. And we even can get twisted theology from Scripture saying that we're bad because, because over and over throughout Scripture, it points out where we as human beings have sinned, and we all have. I hope that's not news to you this morning. But that we've all sinned. We've all done, done things bad. And it's so easy to let that bleed over from guilt into shame, and then we become bad people. And what happens when we become bad people is that we begin to hide and present and step away. And when we're at once close in a relationship, when shame enters the relationship, then we distance ourselves, maybe not geographically, physically, but we distance ourselves personally. We begin to put walls up and, and hide and get further and further away. And that happens in human relationships. But more significantly and more deviously, it happens in our relationship with our creator, God, that we become distanced from God. When we allow shame to define who we are and go unaddressed in our life, it battles against and it, it, it kills any sense of being known. And that's why if you've heard anything or done any reading about shame, you've probably come across a reality that vulnerability is something that helps combat shame so effectively because it begins to go, this is who I really am. And we have this mysterious, wonderful, healing, redemptive experience in our life when we go, this is who I am. And then we get to hear back, if not from humans, we hear back from God, you're loved you're good. You're valuable. One of the most important things that Paul did for me was to be able to say, you were created good because that's what the Bible says. God says he created us and he looked at us and we were good. How often do we forget that? You and I were created good. We've done bad stuff. We've screwed up. We've hurt ourselves. We've hurt other people. We've done plenty of bad. We were created good. And the God of the universe loves us so much that he's not willing for us to distance ourselves and drift away from him. That he would go to the extent of dying for us so that wouldn't happen. Shame is a tool of Satan's that weaves itself into our lives and distances us from others and more significantly distances us from God. One of the things that I loved about Paul, and it came out every time he cried, was how much he was aware that God loved him and that he loved him back, that Paul loved God back, and that he wanted that for all of us. And that's who we're to be as a church, is to be a people who are growing in our awareness of how much God loves us, to love him in return, and make sure that everybody else knows that. It's one of the ways that we shape and plan our gatherings the way that we do. And it's the reason that we come to this table over and over and over. These, these tables that represent a God that tells the story of a God who's unwilling to let us drift away and stay distant. So much so that he was willing to die. He was willing to send his son who loved us so much that he's willing to obey his father and to give his life and die for us. And so whether it be Paul's emphasis on the inner life and what's really going on on the inside his desire to know God fully and to understand more the mystery of the Trinity, that God was in relationship from eternity 
past to eternity future, or that shame is one of the things that can distance us from God and that we need over and over and over to hear and embrace the good news, the gospel of Jesus. I'm so grateful for my friend Paul. And yet he would, he would look to us and say, hey, finish well, know God more. Come back over and over again to him who loves you, who gave himself, himself for us. So we're going to do this. We're going to continue to sing. And if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that there's a, a God who loves you so much that he gave his son and that Jesus obediently went to the cross and gave his life and sacrificed it, that's what this small meal tells us of this significant story. And so I invite you as we sing to come forward and take a piece of bread and to dip it in the juice. There's tables up in the balcony there and there's one in the middle of the room right there and then these two in the front. God, you're here with us, Holy Spirit. You're moving and working right in this moment right now. And Jesus, as we come to this table, we need to, to meet you and hear from you and receive you and allow you rule and reign in our life this morning and tomorrow morning and the next morning and over and over and over throughout our life. We thank you that you've created us for relationship. And as much as it hurts to lose somebody that we love, we're so grateful for the capacity to love one another, more importantly, to love you and to be loved by you. And to be loved by you. And so, Jesus, as we come to these tables and as we sing to you now, will you meet us? Will you retell us how much you love us? And will you continue to form us and help us to love one another well?